I just pray you'd calm my spirit, but, but also everyone else's here, that we would really understand what it means to worship you. Thank you for the worship that we had this morning. Thank you for the fellowship that we're enjoying today. Thank you for enabling us to tithe and to give back to you, Lord. And as always, we just ask that everything that we do and say this morning would be for your glory. It's all about you, Jesus, and we love you and thank you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so thought about bringing my glasses this time because the font's getting bigger every year. So, you know, and, and it's true because I went to the eye doctor, the one over here, Kaiser on Cottle, on Thursday, and she said, oh, here's the problem. You got a big log in your eye, right? <laughs> Come on, log in the eye. It's a Christian joke. And you, but I, I did see better, and then she said, well, it's probably going to come back, you know. Like, oh. But don't worry, it's, it's pretty common. I hear it's uh, pretty common. <laughs> but don't tell other people if you see a log in their eye, right? Okay. All right. So I also want to be clear. Let's, let's open up to uh, John chapter 12, the Gospel of John. Chapter 12, and I want to be clear that the core of this content material was, was from a message that was given to me by a brother by the name of John Boyce, but I, I, taught, I asked his permission and he gave it to us. We both agree that what's important is that people are edified and that the Lord is lifted up, right? And of course, he said, make sure you cite uh, A.W. Tozer, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, and Alistair Begg. So really, we thank them, but also, most importantly, uh, the Holy Spirit, just how he put everything together, right? So if you're there at John uh, chapter 12, can I get a yes? Okay, great. So let's read it together, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume sold and the money been given to the poor? It was a year's worth of wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he was to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I know this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but as always, if you come to it with an open mind, there are so many new things that would be brought to your attention and I believe that they merit reflection. And so I want to share them with you today. Because what seems to be a typical gathering of close friends for a family dinner, it's really an illustration of the church. So what do I mean by this? I looked up the definition of a church, and it's a place or a building designed for public worship. It also says it's an assembly, a congregation, or an occasion. Gathering for public worship. And the more you think about it, this passage does fulfill that definition. And so in taking a look here at this passage, 
uh, I think it's appropriate to point out that the title of today's message is What Makes a Church? By the way, does, does everybody have a handout from, for today? I forgot to ask that. If you don't have a handout, just raise your hands. I think Leo can still get you one. But if you do, great. Okay? So what makes a church? Now, any time that I undertake or try and take a closer look uh, at Scripture and do an evaluation of it or interpretation, I start with context, right? It makes sense. That's what you do. The who, what, where, when, how, and why. It might not be in that order, but it's pretty easy to say that the when here, uh, we know from reading the Gospel of John that it's six days before Jesus' crucifixion. As for the where, we also know this is from Matthew 26, verse 6, and Mark 14, verse 3, that he is at Simon the leper's home for the banquet. And for the who's, from this dialogue, we, we know that the disciples, of course, in Jesus, uh, Simon the leper, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Judas were there. Now, there might have been other people, but we know that this is basically the main group that they're referring to that are there. Okay. And then the why. So this is an open home, right? And, and they prepared a meal for Jesus. So that's indicative of, what, what do we say? You have an open home or open heart, open home. So these are people who've opened their hearts, who've opened their home to Jesus. That's their purpose, to honor Jesus there on that day. And that's such a privilege if you can do that. If you've ever hosted a home fellowship, you're really inviting Jesus into your home. It's the same thing when you open your heart out to Jesus. You're inviting him into your heart. So it was a privilege for them. Imagine to be able to have Jesus come to your home for dinner. And then the last of context here is just how is this passage, uh, more importantly relative to today's message, how is this passage presented? Because if the message that I'm trying to deliver here is what makes a church, then we would ask ourselves, you know, how is the church actually represented here? And thankfully, all you have to do is a simple character study of the people that are involved. Okay, so remember, the church is defined as, as a building or a place designed for public worship or an assembly or a congregation or an occasion. And so my point is, if they're all there gathered together for worship, you need someone or something to worship. So with, with that in mind, let's start our character study here, and we can go right through the list. And in John chapter 12 and verse 1, it starts with Jesus. Someone to worship. Point one is someone to worship Jesus. He is the guest of honor in this banquet. He's the center of the church. He's the center of our church, amen? He should be, and he is. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's a certainty. And for some churches, that's not always the case. And I mentioned the programs that we have here. I was going through some of them. We have the New Believers we have a membership training. We have the men's fellowship breakfast a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. Um, we have Brother Vince doing some ribs. He's got stuff going on. Then we have the chili cook-off next week. We have Operations Christmas Child, which are those boxes there. You can still pick them up. They're going to do a, a packing here, I think, November the 8th. Or, yeah, November the 8th. Uh, we got prayer meetings going on Sunday and Wednesday. We've got Bible studies going on Wednesday night. Oh, we had the baptism. Uh, last week. So they're all important parts of our minister, ministry, right, and fellowship. But some churches, they put those things or the building itself or the media programs 
streaming programs, whatever, they put these activities as a really high priority within the church, and sometimes even higher than the Lord. And not, I'm not even talking about the tendency of some churches to put the pastor or the, the leaders of the church above Jesus, and that's not right. So we're so blessed here because in general, we can't relate to that. But I know that you all agree with me. Jesus should be at the center of every church, and he should also be at the center of our lives. Amen? Okay, good. So here uh, he is, and the next character, point number two, especially for a Christian church, it's very important with disciples of Christ that you have resurrected saints. Notice that? Lazarus represents resurrected saints. Because the only way a church is a church is when its members go from death to life. And a church, disciples of Jesus, is alive because its members, you and I, are alive spiritually. And this is shown by Lazarus, because Lazarus was dead, and then he became alive. And it's a long story in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, but ultimately, it's only through Christ and his you know, very effective calling out to Lazarus that he was resurrected. And then he reiterated that Jesus did in, in John 14, 6, right, where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. You can't have life unless you come to Jesus. That's the only way we become alive is by Jesus calling us. And so when he said in chapter 11, Lazarus, come out in verse 43, you know, Lazarus responded, and he calls out the same way to us. He calls out to us. He says, you know, Arnold, come out, or Gloria, come out. Come out of that world of sin, right? Come out of slavery to sin. Come out of the world's strife and chaos that's going on right now. Come out of that world's hopelessness that we all see and experience, come out of the bitterness that's involved in the world, come out of the devil's hold for some people, and just come out and have life, and life more abundantly. And not just now, but eternally, right? So only Jesus can do that, only Christ. Only he is able to call us out of the devil's hand, out of the devil's world, and into life. And then to prove that, he could do it on a spiritual basis, he did it on a physical basis. So if you remember, Lazarus was already dead. And when Jesus showed up, he assured Martha that, don't worry, Lazarus is going to rise again. And she said, I know, I know he'll rise again on, in the resurrection on the last day. And that was in verse 24 of chapter 11. But then Jesus responded, right? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So there's the truth there. He, he calls us out to be his own. And if you think about it, we're all Lazarus. And if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a Lazarus. Amen? So I think that's neat. Not only that, we're adopted. We're adopted sons and daughters of Christ, adopted children of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So that's, that's pretty special. We're really in his family, and Lazarus is an example for everyone to be called out from death to life. And you can too. 
you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, you can. You can become a Lazarus yourself. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it's the go-to verse, right? For you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Don't ever forget that, folks. If you're a Christian, you were dead, and now you're alive. Amen? Okay, so the church needs to be filled with people who are alive um, and are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're spiritually alive, right? You were dead in your life. Not half dead and half alive. There's a lot of people out there, I don't know why you would want to be in the gray area, you know, where you kind of want to have a foot in both sides. For whatever reason, some people, well, okay, when I was first Christian, I was a little embarrassed to be a Christian, but that's okay, that's normal, right? And there are some people who prefer to keep sin in their life, to do certain sins, and they can't let go of certain things. But I tell you, you know, and if you're one of them, it's not good. You're walking on thin ice, right? And you can't be on both sides because you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? He said, when the Son of Man, in, in verse uh, 31, sorry, Matthew 25, verse 31, thank you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. A clear distinction there between the sheep and the goats. So you can't be on both sides. We were talking about it at the men's study uh, on Wednesday night as well in Revelation chapter 3. If you remember that, he's talking to the seven churches, but one of them is the church in Laodicea in chapter 3. And he says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty vivid, right? You can't be on both sides. You're either a sheep or a goat. There's no mention, and I look, there's no mention in the Bible of geeps or shoats, right? And they're not in God's kingdom, folks, right? You're either a sheep or a goat, and only sheep get in. So we should be alive, and we should celebrate that. I love that, um, you know, we, we celebrated and clapped for the people who were baptized. Uh, we really got to celebrate our new converts because Jesus himself, he told more than one parable of, of people that are lost and that were found, right? Just in Luke chapter 15 alone, he talked about the lost sheep, uh, the lost coin, um, the lost son. You know, what happens in heaven when the lost are found? In verse 10, of, of Luke 15, he said, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over just one sinner who repents. Isn't that awesome? They rejoice when one person comes to the Lord. And I, I think that they must be celebrating all the time, right? But that's what heaven's all about, so why not, right? So that's why we have invitations every week. You know, after the service, we have an invitation to people to come to to know Jesus Christ, because that's the purpose, right? And we don't want people to be on the sidelines. We don't want them to be in the gray area. We want them to be committed disciples and followers of Christ. Okay, enough pontification there. Um, we have someone to worship. We have resurrected saints. Uh, the next one, it says in verse 2, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, which brings us to our next character, Martha, or servants. 
right? We have service. Martha represents servants in the church, and Martha served. So that's what it's about. We see she was serving here, uh, and from reading other parts, other uh, uh, parts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's evident Martha liked the job. She did it before, and you know, here she was preparing a banquet in honor of Jesus. And, you know, she could have been celebrating as well. And some commentaries note, gosh, she's such a servant. She wasn't even in her own home, but she was serving. And notice this time, right, if you remember, she did not ask Jesus to rebuke her sister Mary, if you guys remember that story, right? So she's grown, so that's good. She's learned from the last time because she had been rebuked uh, in Luke chapter 10 because she was worried about uh, what her sister was doing. And so she was rebuked, but it's important to differentiate. She was rebuked about her worrying and about her anxiety and about her, her fault-finding, right? It wasn't about her ability and, and, and love to serve. So that's encouraging. But we do have a personal application here because a lot of people, a lot of us, to be honest, spend time looking around, pointing fingers, worrying about other people, and we forget what, not only what we're doing, but more importantly, why we're doing it. Right? So serving, plain and simple, should just be out of love. Right? It should be. And we can only get that love through Jesus and up through abiding in him. Now, everyone has an opportunity in the church to serve. Amen? You guys all have opportunities to serve. And yes, we're to come to church to fellowship, but also we are asked and told to serve. Now, I understand we're not all the same. You know, not everybody has the same spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about that too. Um, there's diversity, but there's unity. You know, if you read Corinthians chapter 12, there's quite a bit there, but uh, suffice it to say that, that Jesus is the best example, right, of being a servant, doing what his father wanted him to do, you know, no matter what. Uh, he was healing, he was teaching, and and, you know, he even went so low as to wash the disciples' feet. So he's a true example. And Martha, not knowingly, was following uh, that example. So we need to serve our master because he served as well. And Martha liked doing it and, you know, serving Jesus. Gosh, so I just want to ask again, are we serving him? Are we? And are we enjoying it and loving serving him with the dedication that he merits, right? Or... Are we the ones that are being served? Like a consumer, like when you go to a restaurant, you have all these expectations. And I know that's our nature, right? You, wanna, you work all week, you show up on Sunday, and some of us, you just want to chill. You just want to take it in, you know, and, uh, and then you take it to the next level. You evaluate your church experience based on what you get out of it, right, which is wrong. You know, will this church meet my needs um, there was a perspective that I came across which I liked, and, and it said to approach your church experience more like a job interview. And if you think about it, you know, if you're doing it right when you come to a job interview, you say, how can I help this company grow? You know, well, how can I help this church grow? You know, how can I use my talents to strengthen the church and help others grow, right? Because it, it's hard because it requires that you get outside of yourself, right? And because your, your attitude has to be, I'm coming to bless and not to drain. It's a little bit different. It's a challenge for some of us. 
So use the talents that God gives you to further his kingdom and for his honor and for his glory. You know, imagine what would happen if we really put Jesus in the center and not ourselves. What would happen if we were to see what he can do through us instead of what we can get? So there's a call to service here. We serve because he first served us. We love because he first loved us. And that's evident. Amen? So we have someone to worship, point one. Two, we have resurrected saints. Three, we have servants. And they're all represented in, in, in verse two, right? It was given in Jesus' honor, the dinner Martha served. Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And the next character is Mary. So point number four, worshipers. Mary represents worship, right? A church or any place of worship needs to have worshipers. And it said, we read in verse 3, Then Mary took up about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. That's also very vivid. But isn't that representative of true worship? I mean, it's very convicting, Right? And I say this because it points at me, you know, can I be like Mary? She took what was, what some people say was her dowry, basically a year's worth of wages, and anointed Jesus with a very expensive ointment. And it's a little deeper than that. Some say that Mary might have been one of the few people who understood that Jesus was going to die. Because he had been saying this for quite a while, Right? To his disciples, in fact, in chapter 11 and verse 16, if you remember, uh, Thomas, you know, he said, well, guys, let's just go with him to Bethany to die with him. <laughs> I don't know. He's, that's Thomas, right? Bless his heart. But, um, you know, we always, always only think of him as doubting Thomas. But at least he had an understanding there. And the speculation is that she was anointing him for his death, you know, that she was giving all that she had but it's also important to point out, she came prepared, right? This was in anticipation. So think about it. Again, for a personal application, do we come to church prepared? Do we come prepared to worship, right? Because this wasn't spur of the moment or an afterthought, but it was actually a planned thought in action. She would have had to, to bring this to the banquet, right, and make arrangements to do all that. So... In worship, do you really realize what the Lord has done for you when you're worshiping him, what he's done for you on the cross, that he gave us all? And then in contrast, in comparison as well, would you be willing to give up a year's worth of wages or all that you have to worship Jesus? If not 100%, would you be willing to give 10%? That's a valid point, church right? I don't know if you know this. We've shared it in the past, but our church, it's in a bad spot financially. And as an elder, it's my duty to inform you what's going on. We're operating in the red on business. It just means, you know, you bring in less money than you're spending. The rent here, it's killing us because so many things have changed. We basically still have the same expenditures that we've had we have the, I know we have the same salaries for the staff. They haven't had raises in years, right? And when COVID happened, we didn't have church. We didn't have people coming in. 
and we got no relief on the tithing from the, from the landlords. It's a cold world out there, right? Cold. And so we got no relief. Um, and we're, it's not like we have a big staff. We have two people on the full-time staff. That's it, right? Somebody asked me one time, they go, oh, aren't you on staff? I'm not on staff. I'm, I'm serving the Lord because I love him, right? But, man, we are on a skeleton crew, and, and, and it's the right time to say it. Now, the end of the All Hallows' Eve, right? We are on a skeleton crew, and it's, it's always been like that, right? So, but to be honest, at this rate, the way it's going, we won't be able to even fulfill our lease. And tithing and giving, it's a form of worship, right? And it's, it's, it's there in the Bible. I don't have to justify it. It's, it's all over. In uh, the Old Testament, it's in Malachi. You can read that in chapter 3. You can look at Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It, there's little portions there. All he's talking about tithing. And, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about it. It's not in your outline here, but uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 43, when he talked about the widow's offering, if you remember, she was poor. And she gave two cents. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Because they all gave out of their, their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on, right? So that's what we try and understand is the principle behind it we're not asking for everybody to give equally. We're asking everybody to sacrifice equally. And it's our belief that if everyone tied their full 10%, then we'd be all right. The church would be okay if everybody tied their 10%. But if you don't, we won't. We won't be okay. And I know the church is not the building, right? But we're here for now, and we're under contract and so we're obligated, right? And really, it's all about our hearts, right? And, and how we want to worship him. That's what it's about. So bear with me. Worship is, just, is more than singing, and it's about living our whole life in devotion to Jesus, right? And if you can worship him without any ifs, ands, or buts, praise the Lord. You know, because a lot of us say, oh, Jesus, here's my life, right? But but don't ask for this out of me, you know, don't ask for that, or, or don't touch this, or don't go into that room, right? Um, but let's worship him for who he is, right? He's our God, and he's our Savior, he's our Messiah, right? So everything that we have, if we're truly honest, he gave us. Can we give it back, some of it, for his use, and for his honor, and for his glory? So Mary, getting back to the story, gave up her pride to let down her hair, because that would have been a real dishonor back then in that culture, to let down your hair in front of people. And she used it to wipe Jesus' feet. She truly gave everything that she had. And so that's why I ask if we can worship in this way. Let's move on. The next character, uh, actually it's an inanimate object here, and there's very little on it, but some commentaries liken this, the perfume, right? It, it's, it's Some commentaries likened it to the Holy Spirit, and I think that kind of shortchanges it a little bit because I think the Holy Spirit is so much more and in depth and, and such a blessing. But you notice how the smell of the nard went throughout the house, right? In verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, and you know 
Because I, I remember hugging my tias back when I was a little kid, right? And they had all this perfume on and everything. You're like, oh, it stays with you. It stays with you for a long time, right? Um, so that would have been on Mary for days, right? And shouldn't the Holy Spirit be like that, right? That we not only can know his presence, but people can see it and, and almost feel it, you know, coming out of you, just emanating from you, you know, as if you had... Uh, garlic, you know, and you eat garlic, and then it comes out days later, you know, wouldn't that be great if it was just the Holy Spirit and that you would have that, that aura, you know, you, I have Jesus with me all the time. And so when people come to cry, it's my hope they can see and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit from all of us, right? Lord willing, you know. So a church has uh, someone to worship, Jesus. We have resurrected saints, Lazarus. We have servants, uh, Martha, and we have worshipers like Mary. And the last character, got us admitted here, is, is Judas, right? We have naysayers or cynics. It's interesting because John relates this story after many years right here and because now he has an understanding of what Judas' real motives are. If you look at verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There it is. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You think about it, the church will always have a Judas. And sometimes they don't even know that they're a Judas. Perhaps because, uh, you know, these people, they understand the gospel here but not here. They don't submit entirely. You know, they, they know him in only one area and not the most important area. And for me, it, it's hard to understand Judas because he had all the advantages. He had spent time, three years of intense training with Jesus. He had seen all the miracles. He had heard so much truth, right? But it was all in his mind and not in his heart or his soul. So he wasn't alive he was dead. And just like other people who come to today's church, they didn't, and they haven't come alive. Some people come out of duty, right? Or some people come just in case, right? They want to hedge their bets, so to speak, right? And they're like, oh, you look at the odds. I think I better show up in church. You know, it's better to have, what do they say, more sticks in the fire, you know, just in case. What does it hurt? We go to nice breakfast afterwards. You know, it's, people are generally nice. It's a good experience. Right? So, but that's not true worship. You know, and then some people even have ulterior motives. They come to deceive. And Jesus warns us, you know, throughout the New Testament, they warn us about wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Because Satan doesn't care what's going on outside the church, he already has those people, right? So he wants to get people inside the church, right? Kind of like um, uh, the Trojan horse right? What's the best way? You know, have a spy in there or somebody infiltrate and get inside. They can masquerade as an angel of light even, right? So as long as you say the right things and, and do the right things, and, you know, but the motives, they're personal. They're disruptive. So the wolves are thinking, what can I get out of this? You know, not what can I give, but what can I get out of this? They're not thinking about service and worship to God, they're thinking about service to self and worship of self. 
and they stir it up. And even if we didn't, we know there's no such thing as a perfect church, right? We know that. And you think about it, all those epistles that were written, all the letters, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those letters, they were written because there was issues in the church, right? And so, of course, there would have been Judaizers throughout and people like Judas. Um, And I'm not sure people today are are that much different from people back then because they should have been doing the same thing that Mary was doing, right? They should have been worshiping unconditionally. Um, And Judas, if there's Judas today in in churches, you know, they might be the ones that end up splitting a church. They might be the ones who are responsible for that. But that day, in this passage, he didn't have the impact. Because fortunately, who was there? Jesus, right? And Jesus rebuked him, and he put Judas in his place. And there are other people, uh, disciples, that John in this section doesn't tell us about what they were thinking at the time. We see a little bit in, in the a book of Matthew in chapter 26, verse 8. It says, When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. So it reiterates what happens. And then in Mark chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, it said there were some of those who said the same thing indig- indignantly, right? Um, so they weren't much better than Judas there. They had all that teaching, they had all that exposure, but they just didn't think it through. We're not much different. Even with all our knowledge, we still make these same types of mistakes, right? So if we're not careful, we got to look at our own motives sometimes. You know, otherwise, we're going to miss the beauty of worship too, and that would be a shame. And I don't know about you, I don't like missing opportunities for such things to be able to worship Jesus. It's it's so beautiful. So I just know that if we remain in God's word and if we're in prayer regularly and we work to build our relationship with him so that we can can look for that, look for the beauty, you know, and worship him as he's meant to be. We're so much better off. And so we see Jesus' response here. We see the real instruction, the real explanation because he comes and he sets things straight. In verse 7, he says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus was there, and he should be present in our church today. Amen? So that he can set us straight. He gave the answer as to why the perfume was being poured on him. You know, it's to worship him now. And again, he was reminding them of his imminent death. Because without that death, there's, there's no new covenant, church, right? He set things straight, and we didn't touch on it, but in verse 9, it gives you the result, an eye into the result, that people came to see who Jesus is and what he was doing. And that continued later on in, in, the, in this gospel when he entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, right? And isn't that appropriate? People wanted to know who this guy was and what he was talking about. That's our hope and prayer, that Jesus would be this church's compass, right, and keep us on track and act as our, as our cornerstone because that's where he belongs, right, and that people would then hear about our church and they would want to come here and they would want to honor him with us. Amen? So that's what we want. So as we get ready to close, we see the church here in this passage, and I'm, I'm so grateful because um, I had never really 
thought about it that way, but the church should be centered on Christ to begin with. It should be filled with people that are raised from the dead by Christ. It should be filled with people who are devoted in service to Christ and with people devoted to worship of Christ. Now, yeah, there's always a fly in the ointment there, right? The cynics, but the church is made up of many members and we're all different and that's okay because I'm encouraged by what I see when I look out here because I'm encouraged when I see what the Lord has done in in our lives, in people's lives, right? I always think of the word synergy. And for for those of you who don't know, synergy is the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Got that? Greater than the sum of its individual parts, if you want to be clear. So it's okay to be different parts. We're different parts, people, right? Because what's it say? If you were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's all about the different parts, you know, the big toe, the ear, and nose, and all that. But at verse 27 in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So let's, let's check ourselves. Uh, let the Lord govern our hearts, right? And then as we say here, live, love, worship, and witness. Amen. Let's all stand.